John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And good morning on this Friday, rainy Friday, as we go into week three of the National Football League. Lots of big news. We've got uh, Pac-12 football that's going to be back. Uh, We'll get into that, of course. We've got the uh, big game coming up against the Dallas Cowboys, and injuries are playing a big, big role in that one. So let's waste no time. Let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Let me get a quick take on injuries. I know Dwayne Brown got rolled up on, came back in the game. I know he sat out some this week. Is he going to be okay? Yeah, he practiced today, and, and uh, he should be okay. Sheem Green, is, he's got a little bit of a yeah. problem. It's just lingering a little bit here, and we got to wait wait that one out. Yeah, we got to wait that one out make sure he's okay. Um, Cody's okay. Uh, he practiced Thursday and Friday. And uh, who's our other guy? Uh, uh, Mioa. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Benson, Benson's work, work today, and we'll, we'll uh, have to see a game time if he's okay. Boy, pretty scary in the sense that uh... – the uh, defensive end position got even worse, you know, right now because Rasheem Green. It didn't sound very optimistic about him getting through the neck injury that sidelined him last week. Uh, again, that'll be a game time decision. And of course, Benson Mayo, uh, who plays like 65 plays on Sunday against New England, he's got a groin injury, and that's going to be a game time decision. So, what you wonder right now, who's going to be out there playing defensive end and playing to Leo because Irvin's on the injured reserve list? Uh, you know, they'll Alt- Alton Robinson may go from inactive to possibly even starting if that's going to be the case. So that's real scary. As you know, Marquise Blair on the injured reserve list, Bruce Irvin on the injured reserve list, both with torn ACLs. And so that one looks good. So I don't know. This game looks like it's going to be a shootout because, remember, they've got problems in Dallas with injuries. You know, they, they're starting two cornerbacks are down. So I guess you could technically say they're down three cornerbacks from last year because Byron Jones ended up going to Miami in free agency for $16.5 million. Leighton Vander Esch is out. Of course, he's on the injured reserve list. Sean Lee on the injured reserve list. The big thing waiting for right now to see if Tyron Smith's going to be able to play the left tackle. He's got got a neck injury and hasn't been able to do too much in practice this week. The right tackle, Lil Collins, is already on the injured reserve list. So injuries abound. And, of course, they lost their tight end in week one, Blake Jarwin, who ended up getting a torn ACL. So injuries are going to play a big factor, but most of the injuries clumped on defense to a point where you know this is going to be a high-scoring game, one that should be entertaining, but also maybe as scary as the one we saw Sunday night. Number two. What else can you tell us, though, with a return date on November 6th, and how does that play in the college football playoff conversation? Well, there has been no discussion saying that the Pac-12 won't be allowed in it. And look, with seven games, they could be right in the thick of things because, remember, there's no guarantee how many games anyone else is going to get in. No benchmarks have been set for how many games you have to play to get into a semifinal right now. You know, think about it. Oregon can be 7-0 and and Alabama could be 6-1. and mm. We'll be talking about them both. So that's Heather Dinich of uh, ESPN talking about the Pac-12 CEOs voting to have a November start uh, for the season and have a seven-game schedule. That's going to begin on November the 6th. So there is going to be Pac-12 football. Larry Scott, the commissioner, says there's been, this has been a result of what they said back in August, that they follow the science, follow the data, and follow the advice of the medical experts. And so the how badly the student-athletes want to compete. And so they are going to be able to compete shortly. Uh, they're going to probably get the schedule out here pretty 
pretty soon. And then shortly after the Pac-12 announced, the Mountain West Conference announced that it would return on the field, but it's going to return October 24th. So the Husky will have, Huskies will have a seven-game schedule for Jimmy Lake to make his head coaching debut. We'll see about the fallout of all the players around the uh, Pac-12 that have opted out. A lot of the first-round picks are not going to be out there because they're just waiting for the NFL draft. And, of course, if seven games goes, then I guess you could say that the Pac-12 is going to be eligible to get in the in the playoff round. But pretty much, I'd say right now, it doesn't look likely because there's not going to be as many big games against top 25 schools. But nevertheless, Pac-12 back, and I think we're all happy about that. Number three. I don't want I don't want to vote. You know, I think I think more more importantly, you know, I want to win, you know, and I think, you know, uh, obviously MVP is a special award. You know, the best football players in the world. There's so many great guys. You know, I think about guys like Lamar last year, unbelievable <clears throat> last year. Such a great player. You know, guys like Patrick Mahomes and uh, some other greats, obviously, that, that still play this game and Tom and Drew. And, you know, I, I think for me, I want to be regarded as one of the best to ever play this game. You know, to be honest with you, I think it's part of the process and, and hopefully you know, I can, you know, win enough games and do enough special things as a team to be able to do that. It's a team award, really, I, th- I think, you know, in terms of the MVP. That's Russell Wilson talking about MVP. He's more interested in winning than worrying about awards. But right now, you can see that he's in a great spot to maybe win that award as the MVP. He's had a great start, according to Elias Sports Bureau. His 82% completion percentage with a minimum of 50 passes is the highest in NFL history after two weeks. And it might be able to stay up pretty close to it because look at the problems that the uh, Cowboys have. They're not getting the pass rush. They only have two sacks. And then their two starting quarter cornerbacks, Jadobi Awuzie and Anthony Brown, both are going to be out for this game. Brown, of course, on the injured reserve list. And then standout rookie cornerback uh, Trevon Diggs is questionable with a shoulder injury. So technically, if you would throw in Byron Jones, you know, this team's down three corners from last year. And, of course, uh, Diggs coming in as a possible replacement. I would have to imagine Brandon Carr, the longtime veteran, may have a chance to start in this game. He signed on the practice squad to get things started, but now he is going to be asked to play. And we'll see. This could be a wild, wild football game. High scoring, no doubt. But Russell Wilson, 82%, as good as you can get. Number four. You know, seeing the emergence of Kyle Lewis into a guy who's going to win Rookie of the Year and and certainly deserves to do so. Is he going to win it? It's been really cool. Yeah, I think he's going to win it. Luis Robert, at this point, um, his on base is under 300. I just... I have a very difficult time seeing a guy with an on-base percentage under 300 winning the award over a guy who plays the same position, has similar power, uh, and, and has a slugging percentage in the in the same vicinity, and you know, arguably plays uh, you know as good, if not a better, center field. That's Jeff Hassan from ESPN talking about Kyle Lewis likely to win the Rookie of the Year, and he makes a compelling case. Even though he struggled of late, uh, Kyle Lewis has a .274 batting average, 11 homers, and 28 RBIs. His OPS is .841, and the main competition is going to be White Sox center fielder uh, Lewis Roberts. Uh, Luis Roberts, who's batting 220, that's 54 points under Lewis, has 30 RBIs and a 726 OPS, which is 115 lower than Lewis. So when you take in, of course, uh, you even take in some of the ratings on that as far as wins against replacements. Lewis is at 1.8, Roberts is at 1.7, Fangraphs has uh, Lewis at 1.9, and Roberts at 1.6. I have to see that it looks like Rookie of the Year for Kyle Lewis. Number five. So I got a little text from uh, one of my buddies back home. So he has the inside scoop on that. So 
Looking forward to it. Okay. So who, who said that or where did you see that? Or? Oh, I can't tell you that, man. Come on. I can't give you the nuggets like that, man. Nah, just, just I, you know, I grew up with a couple guys um, who are still my brother's best friends to this day. We talk every day, group message, and, you know, what goes on in Dallas, you know, it always comes back to me, you know. I, I always find out the scoop. So just a little edge, you know, a little chip on my shoulder to go out there and, and continue to do what I'm doing. So Jamal Adams has a chip on his shoulder against the Dallas Cowboys, and I can see, you know, first he did say that he wanted to be traded to Dallas, and they did not trade for him. And, uh, you know, now it's uh, looking like the coverage issues have been on the bulletin board from the problems that Adams had last week, particularly against the New England Patriots. And so, uh, you know, he's got to tighten down on some coverage things, and he knows that. Adams also said that this matchup is somewhat similar to the Falcons because of the explosive ability of the wide receivers, and I definitely agree with that. Tell you what, Jamal Adams, very sharp. He's got great analytical ability as far as his football knowledge and that, and he's also just an absolute great, great player. Hey, you can listen to the show in the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, the Seahawks' defense and uh, where it stands compared to last year and where it is this year. It's And that's on behind the line. That's on uh, under further review. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, certainly the Seahawks' defense has been the main thing that everybody's been concentrating on, aside from the offensive line. And their offensive line's off to a real good start. Damian Lewis getting high grades from pro football focus. Had him like maybe the second best rookie performing out there. So that looks good. But the defense, of course, you know, ranked now number 32 in the league. Still, they are getting a little more pressure. At least they're not getting the sacks. I mean, they've had three sacks in two games. Two of them on blitzes by Jamal uh, Adams. And this team has now had to blitz 36% of the time. Uh, and... You know they had, uh, you know they got about eight pressures a game, which is better than the six that the Dallas Cowboys have. So now the question is, can this defense get better than it was last year, and is it in the same boat as it was last year? That was a big topic of conversation with Dave Wyman, Bob Stelton, and Jim Moore. The offense carried this team last year. It feels like it's very much that same way right now. The offense is electric. They feel explosive, and the defense feels like, just hang on, just hang on. And, and do your best to keep them in the game. Is it is this a scheme coaching problem or is it they just don't have the talent? Because I've got questions based on your answer to this one. Uh-oh. But as you see it, and, and Jim will get your response as well, but do you look at this as more of a scheme situation or these guys just aren't executing what, what they're being taught or is it just the talent situation? It's... It's a great question. I want, I want to bring a couple of things up. This is concerning, okay? Um, Cam Newton threw for 397 yards. The last time he's thrown for that many yards was his first two starts in the league in 2011. So since then, he has not thrown you know, even close to, I mean, maybe 350, 340, but 397. The other thing is, is watching the Denver-Atlanta game, he said it's the first time in NFL history that three receivers have had nine or more catches and Lee and Julio Jones. And that happened against the Seahawks defense. So, you know, I I think that they're gonna they're gonna be able to make plays, you know, and get turnovers. Right now they're plus two in turnover ratio. I think they have three takeaways. And, you know, that's how they're gonna have to make their living. 
course, I think Dave even got a point there that uh, is also very curious, too. He talked about Cam Newton with the 397 yards, and uh, you know, that, close to that was the first two games in 2011. What's the similarity? The similarity is in 2011, there was no offseason program, and the defenses fell behind the offenses. I thought the offenses would be the ones falling behind the defenses, but that's not the case. And so I think what you're looking at, and this is a league-wide issue right now, because you know, say what you want about the great start of the Green Bay Packers, scoring over 40 points in two games they've given up a lot of points i mean a lot of i mean this was the highest scoring uh two-week part of the season 1611 points that were scored 25.15 a game numbers are up on passing they're up away on running and there's a record of i think it was 187 touchdowns in the first two weeks that's an nfl record and i think 184 of them were on offensive plays and so it's just that the defenses with no offseason program and even worse this year no preseason games are just way behind now you have some defenses being played and certainly uh you can see that the when you start off going against matt ryan Cam Newton at his best, uh, going for 71% completions. And then also what's there for, uh, you know, coming up this week with Dak Prescott. That's big. I know Boy Howdy's with us today. And so, Boy Howdy, I mean, do you think there's an overreaction right now to uh, the slow start of the defense? I don't think there is, actually, John. And uh, this is something that Brock Ewer talked a bit about uh, on the Brock and Salk podcast this week. He really thinks that the absence of fans impacts the defense more than any other aspect of football. Uh, that the defense just traditionally feeds on the energy, first of all, and that the offense, the uh, the inability to be able to make the changes that they may want to because of crowd noise, that goes away. So he believes that this is sort of a, a prime situation with COVID and no fans for the offenses to continue to thrive. But I think the point that you bring up about whether um, the lack of offseason training has made a huge difference in the comparison of 2011 is really apt. I really like that, that call. Uh, it's something I hadn't considered uh, in terms of just the correlation. But if that's the case, John, do you think that that's going to get better as the season goes on and the defenses get more comfortable? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, again, the crowd's not there. is still going to be an issue, but I think as time goes on, I mean, we're what there's right now six teams that have allowed fans in the stands. I mean, I know it was like 2,500 for Indianapolis, and now they're going to go up to 7,500. And so, you know, that's not going to make enough noise to cause as much of a problem as possible. But I, I would have to think that the crowds as will start to grow a little bit. We'll see if anything's going to be allowed here in King County because uh, I know that you know they say it has to be phase four and we're not going to get to phase four at any time this year we're still in phase two but I think they might be able to make an exception to get a quarter of the stadium in there but uh, no it's going to get better and then also you got to look at the schedule the schedule is so important you know this three game set right now I mean now you go against Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, coming up next week in Miami but again Ryan Fitzpatrick is an old quarterback and he had a bad ja- Jackson defense he was able to pick apart last night I think that'll start cleaning things up we'll see where Kirk Cousins is in week five and then they can kind of regroup during the bye week to see where they are but then you look at the rest of the way they've got five young quarterbacks at the least uh, not counting Kyler Murray that uh, aren't doing well and I think they can bring the numbers down Uh, I thought Pete Carroll brought a great point yesterday in saying that uh, okay yeah there was about maybe they could have had five sacks it was just trying to get the finishing parts of of that but of course now you wonder it's like if Benson Mayoa and Rasheem Green can't play is there going to be enough guys to be able to even think about rushing the quarterback yeah I don't see it John I don't really know how they're ever going to get to the quarterback and unless they design blitzes and Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner in the backfield on every play now in order for that to happen John I would guess 
that the rest of the field, the rest of the nine positions on defense that they roll out have to execute their jobs flawlessly. If you're going to make Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams the total free range, go after whatever you see and don't worry about your original responsibilities, which I think is the best pass rush option they have, everyone else has to do their job so well. Tough task, huh? It really is. And, of course, I mean, they're up to uh, blitzing like 36% of the time. And, uh, you know, that could be dangerous because it leaves you vulnerable to big plays. And we saw that, you know, because all of a sudden, and again, what's going to help this week is Quandre Diggs getting back because he got the ejection early in the game. And that takes away, you know, a, a, a stabling force at the free safety position. And uh, so that'll clean up a little bit. But, uh, hey, we all know Dak Prescott can put up yards and he can put up points. And, you know, Russell Wilson can do the same thing. So you just expect a high scoring game. But, you know, now you look at Dallas coming up, you know, they, they, they have actually been worse than the Seahawks for sacks and pressures. Only two sacks and I think uh, six pressures a game in the first two games. And there's a likelihood that they're top three cornerbacks because we already know there's two starters are going to be out, uh, one already on injured reserve. And now if uh, Diggs is not able to go out there at corner, now you're talking about three corners and there's, there's no replacements. They can't, they won't be able to, they're going to be in worse shape than Seattle because they've got no pass rush so far and their coverage is going to be brutal. You said this earlier in the segment, and I think you're so right on this. The Seahawks' defensive formula this year is built on the secondary taking the ball away. They are not built on stopping teams on a consistent basis. They're focused on capitalizing on the big moment. Now, they've got the secondary talent to do it if they're all in the game and healthy and not knocking people out and getting kicked out. But that's the formula, isn't it, John? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, you know, the, and and of course, I mean, you can and again, this is a two and zero start with a team right now that I think is being rated as maybe the uh, number one seed currently after two weeks in the NFL. I know so much of that's Russell Wilson and the offense, but it's like say what you want. They were able to manage it to get double digit leads. Where last year, you know, at halftime, particularly in the home games, they were either tied or trailing. And, of course, you know their stats when they have uh, four-point leads or better at halftime. So, uh, you know, it's like you can over-panic and over-read things. I mean, sure, there's issues on defense. I think everybody knows that. And it's going to probably take some time to get that fixed up. But you also got to look at the reality. It's like, hey, they have had double-digit leads in the first two games going into the second half. And that's the formula as well. I mean, we talk a lot about the formulas this segment, but they really know what they need to do. Yeah. They, it feels like they understand their roster. They know they're not going to rush the passer with four. They know they're not going to get there. They know they need to design blitz. 36%, you were saying, John, that's an amazing blitz percentage for a Seahawks team at Pete Carroll. I think that if they can continue to build on their fast starts, make that the formula, design some pressures, make that a part of the formula, take the ball in the way in the secondary, that's how they get it done. Yeah. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we'll check in with Danny O'Neill. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Danny O'Neill. So, Danny, I just wanted to, uh, I'll, I'll give you three options right now to see what you're most excited about. And, of course, uh, option number one is the return of the Pac-12 for seven games. Number two, what's going to be a high-scoring game between Seattle and Dallas. Or number three, the fact that you can go back at uh, Jim Moore and beat him up on the Jacksonville poor performance with Garner Minshew. Well, you know what? 
I, I feel bad because I like Gardner Minshew yeah. much like I, I really do, kind of like the Cougs. Like, it doesn't bring me as much joy to watch them struggle as as, as it probably should because I, I genuinely do like them. So we're going to throw that one out. Okay. Uh, Pac-12, Pac-12, I'm excited for Pac-12 football to come back. I, I'm looking forward to watching the games. There's a little bit of me that wonders just how many games they're going to be able to play. And that's just based on the, the rate has been so far this month that about one out of every three college football games that's been scheduled to be played ends up getting postponed. So, so I'll actually, I'll go with two. I'm, I'm pumped for the shootout. Cowboys, Seahawks, I think it's two great quarterbacks. I think it's two teams that are really, I mean, Seattle's off to as good a start as it could have hoped for playing a very different style of football. And Dallas is really one really terrible play by Atlanta away from being 0-2. So I'm excited to see how this game goes. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, and of course, a little scary. I know Pete was Pete Carroll was on with uh, Dory Monson, and now it looks like it's going to go up to game time to see if Benson Mayoa is going to play despite that groin injury. And it doesn't look encouraging as far as Rasheen Green because he's still got some neck problems that are lingering. So I think both are going to end up being questionable. But then you wonder, boy, who's going to be out there at defensive end? I mean, that was the question as training camp started, and now it's a matter that, uh, you know, is that going to work? Yeah, you're looking at the different potential starters that you have. I mean, if if Green and Mayo are out and Bruce Irvin's lost for the year, I, I don't think Alton Robinson is going to start there. Do you do you move a guy like LJ Collier, who's kind of been a, a five tech player? Do you do you move him over? He's he's probably the guy that gets moved into that spot in that situation. Well, also, also what you wonder is like, uh, do you take uh, now mix putting into the mix? Uh, Jordan Brooks is going to start at the weak side linebacker spot uh, theoretically. Uh, do you take him and even put him on the line with maybe about eight or nine rushes? Yeah, we we certainly we saw we saw at the end of the game it it looked like Jordan Brooks was in the role that Bruce Irvin had been in before. So there's part of me I think we could see him. In some pass rush situations, I think that'll be more in their nickel, their, their nickel pass rush. But that's certainly a possibility as well. And and I I think we might end up seeing Jordan Brooks just slide straight into the role that Bruce Irvin played as the strong side linebacker with with some reps with some reps as your nickel pass rusher. I still think he's going to go on the weak side because you put K.J. Wright, and I think it's almost too much to ask of a rookie to put him on the – because, again, on the weak side, you just try to make plays, right? Now, if you're on the strong side, then you're worried about the tight end and uh, everything else. So that may be too much. I have to think – and, again, we'll see what Pete does. But uh, I think that's almost too much to ask of Jordan Brooks in his first start. Yeah, you're certainly right. And it's kind of that that challenge because in most situations, you would – just replace one guy so you're not making two moves. You wouldn't move Jordan Brooks to weak side and then KJ Wright to strong side, but you're right. KJ has so much experience that it's it's certainly easier for him to move to a spot where he hasn't been practicing and preparing to play because Jordan's been getting reps at the weak side linebacker position. So it very well could turn out to be that. And Pete's kind of been deliberately coy. He doesn't want to tip his hand on that one. Hey, by the way, the 49ers, they just put out their injury list because they're still East Coast. Listen who's out. Jimmy Garoppolo with an ankle injury. Rasheem Mostert with a knee injury. 
running back Tevin Coleman with a knee injury, defensive end D Ford with a back, tight end George Kittle with a knee, and then linebacker Dre, Dre Greenlaw. Uh, he has a quad. And this is after putting Nick Boza on IR with an ACL tear, Solomon Thomas on ACL tear. I mean, that's that's amazing to think they could lose that many players in a week. Yeah, that's that's really been and look, injuries happen, and it's sort of an unavoidable reality. But having injuries happen both at that at that number and at the importance of those positions, you're missing in Garoppolo, you're missing your starting quarterback, and then I think Nick Bosa might be their second best player, might be their best overall football player, but might be the second most important player behind Garoppolo. That that's tough. They're playing a Giants team that has not looked very good, but they're missing so many guys that that could be a real problem for them this weekend. Yeah. What would you, how surprised are you with the start of the Los Angeles Rams? Because my big point I, is, after losing eleven starters and a nickel cornerback on defense over a two-year period, they have three guys who are real good. I mean, Michael Brockers. They have Aaron Donald, and then they have Jalen Ramsey. And other than Vic. Victor Rapp, can you even name any of their other seven starters? Yeah, it's a great point, John. And I, I think you've been the one that sort of cautioned us most about riding off the Rams last year, saying, hey, that's still a good team. And, and don't, but you're right about the, the way that they've found a, a defense in that they're very top heavy. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are two of maybe the 10 best defensive players in the league. And then you can think of Taylor Rapp and Brockers, they're fortunate to have because you remember he agreed to a contract with Baltimore and then they failed him on the physical. So, so he ended up, they, they, they're, they're fortunate to have gotten him back, but they've looked really good so far. They, they're probably, I, I think even more so than Arizona, the Rams might be the biggest surprise with how good they've looked so far. Yeah. Uh, I went on five thirty eight. you know, the polling uh, place uh, and, you know, they also have analytics and they actually projected that uh, according to their numbers, you could see four teams in this division make the playoffs. They had Seattle at 11 and five. They had the Rams at 10 and six, Arizona and San Francisco at nine and seven. Yeah. And Paul Gallant was making this point, which I thought was really well stated with a schedule, which you've talked about how important it is. Uh, the NFC West teams are playing the NFC East and the AFC East, which are probably two of the three worst divisions overall in, in the entire league this year. So that certainly plays into it. If the West is that good and they get that favorable a schedule, you could conceivably see an entire division make the playoffs. Yeah, and really, I mean, when you started off, I mean, there's since they went back to the uh, eight, they went expanded to eight divisions, right? Uh, there's only been one time or two times now a division started out seven and one. It was in 2002, the um, AFC West <clears throat> ended up going seven and one, and this year with the NFC West at seven and one, I think that shows that uh, you know again, schedule is everything. Yeah, it does. And and look, those teams are eventually going to beat up on each other a little bit, but the only loss so far, it was a loss within the division. It was the Cardinals beating the the 49ers. So, so far it looks like it looks like those NFC West teams are going to get the benefit of not only being good, but but having an easier uh, non-division schedule.
What's your thoughts on the uh, Dallas Cowboys right now? Because, uh, you know, I, I think everybody knows that they're going to be able to put a lot of yards and points on the on the scoreboard. But, you know, you can say about the positive of them coming back from a 29 to 10 deficit uh, and winning against Atlanta 40 39. But you know how bad the Falcons defense is. Uh, but the fact that they fell behind 29 to 10 and they uh, now could be down their top three cornerbacks. Uh, looks like they may not be able to play. And then uh, they've not generated a pass rush. And whatever Mike Nolan is doing is kind of weird in the sense that he's put them in a hybrid 3-4-4-3 defense. And it doesn't fit the players on the team because they're more 4-3 guys. You're certainly right. That's that's definitely how it looks from the outside. Right now, the one of you, you feel you have three really good linebackers. But Sean Lee uh, is hurt again. Leighton Vander Esch is out with a broken collarbone. And then Alden Smith, Everson Griffin, and Demarcus Lawrence is your top three pass rushers. Lawrence is banged up. Everson Griffin hasn't done much. And Alden Smith, while he's looked better than anyone could have hoped, you're asking an awful lot of a guy who hasn't been in the league for the past five years. Yeah, no doubt. And so that's going to be a big question mark. But again, it's going to be a great weekend. And of course, again, what's your excitement and what's your thoughts on the Pac-12 getting a seven-game schedule starting November 6th? Um. I, I like how the Pac-12 has made this decision, and I, 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 I kind of bristle when people have talked about them waiting too long and then deciding to get behind it. They, they waited until the point that they knew playing football wasn't going to impose an additional risk on, on, on the players, that it wouldn't make them and be a venue for them to, to transmit the, the, the virus between each other because the, the fact that they're waiting until the rapid testing is able to be implemented I, I think speaks to the, the fact that they did not want the, the activity of football to add to the risk that their student-athletes are experiencing. I give them credit for that. I, I'm hopeful that they'll be able to, to get in these games. There is a big part of me that wonders if we're going to see the same thing happen on campuses across the Pac-12 that we've seen in other conferences when students have come back and Ed Orgeron saying that 50% of his team has tested positive for COVID-19 at one point, that it, it seems like a lot of the safety measures that have been put in place and that the Big Ten put in place, that if you have those kind of test rates, if you have those kind of positive test rates, that you're going to see games delayed. And we've seen a lot of games delayed in other conferences. So while I'm hopeful, I, I, don't, I don't count it as assured that we're going to see Pac-12 football because I think it remains to be seen how widespread infections are going to become especially when you look at, at colleges and all of them. There's there's some schools that have just now been getting students back on campus. I know. Danny O'Neill, hope you have a great weekend. Looking forward to talking to you at 7.15 on Monday. Sounds great. Thank you very much, John. Okay, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and get you up to date on what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, <clears throat> we are doing it behind the lines right now. And I'll tell you, uh, boy, howdy, I'm just stunned at this injury list for San Francisco oh. because they are absolutely destroyed. They've ruled out six players. Uh, most, many of them are predictable. But, again, they thought maybe they could get George Kittle back. That's not going to be the case. But if you include what they did on the injured reserve list with Nick Boza and also uh, you know Solomon Thomas, they are down eight players. That's incredible. Eight players. And these are not just any players. No. These are some of the best players they have. I mean, this is 
This is remarkable. If they can find a way to rally from this, think about what that's going to mean for them long term, by the way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people look in the downside, but there's an upside here. Yeah. So, again, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be able to play because of a high ankle sprain. Uh, Tevin Coleman, the running back, he's got a knee injury, so he's out. Raheem Moster, he's got a knee injury. He's going to be out, and he's going to be out a couple weeks. Then I don't know when this one came up, but uh, uh, Dre Greenlaw, the uh, linebacker, he's, he's out with good. a quad injury. Uh, George Kittle has a knee injury. And, oh, questionable is Akello Witherspoon with a hamstring injury. And, you know, he had been benched particularly toward the end of last season and wasn't getting the starting job this year, but they need him because Richard Sherman is on injured reserve. It's unbelievable, John. I mean, can you remember, is there a team that you can think of in the last decade or so that experienced this kind of, you know, like a, basically a triage center filled with their best players? I mean, this is this seems unprecedented. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm just I'm just stunned by it because, again, I don't think I've seen this many. And, again, the, the, how bad is that show, the New York Jets, that you lose 18 points to a team that's that injured? Mm. Yeah, that's a team that's just not close, are they? No, no. You know, what do you think? Of, what do you think of uh, of Sam Darnold? There was a lot of people who felt like during last year he showed some real signs that there could be something there, and that maybe if they have surrounded him with enough pieces, a good enough offensive line, he may be more in that Carson Wentz mold of maybe not the best group of quarterbacks, but somebody who can really win you games. Where is he sitting now? Uh, in a bad spot because, you know, the play calling with Adam Gaze has not worked to his benefit. They've got nothing left at wide receiver. I don't think they're good with Chris Herndon at tight end. Le'Veon Bell's on injured reserve, and they made four changes on the offensive line. I think that this is one of those things where, you know, they've now gone four years, uh, had a coaching change, and they probably have no idea where Sam Darnold is, and probably this year won't be able to find out. Is there a chance that Sam Darnold's career could end up something like Alex Smith, a guy who was drafted high, who experienced so much tumultuousness, uh, just in tumult in in terms of the the talent around him and the the coaching and leadership, and then eventually finds himself in the right position and flourishes later in his career? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair one. I think that that's a very good possibility to put that comparison. You go because you know Alex. Then it was kind of interesting because uh, you know he came in when Mike McCarthy was the offensive coordinator there, and. Uh, you know, the next thing you know, here's uh, the decision. Okay, do you want to go with Alex Smith? You don't want you want to go uh, with uh, you know uh, go with, with the hall, future Hall of Famer in uh, Rogers. You know, Aaron Rodgers, and they say, ah, let's go with Smith. And uh, you know, he didn't live up to it, but he really has had a very good career. And I'm just happy that he was able to fight through his bad leg injury and still have a chance to play football. Again, he's the third quarterback and probably is not going to get on the field, but at least they have a chance. It would be really cool to see Alex Smith come back. I mean, that's one of the things that makes sports so great, right, John? It's just mm-hmm. this element that, you know, major tragedy could happen and the hill looks so impossible to climb, and yet somehow, some way, the guy has the determination and the grit, the talent, the ability, and the drive to actually get to that mountaintop one more time. It'd be such a cool story. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, back to the 49ers. How about, you know, you talk about the Super Bowl hangover that's now a a heavy migraine. Okay, so it starts out last week. They leave for the trip, and they have to leave and get a plane change because somebody at the airport hit into their airplane. So that was bad. So then, then you come back. Uh, you know, they get all these injuries in the game. And, of course, you go back even to the first week of the season. They, had to, they almost had to move the game because of this, uh, the smoke. You know, on Saturday before the game, it was over 200. And then fortunately, I guess by game time, it got down to 160. But they were gasping for breath. Now you go to uh, 
MetLife Stadium. You complain about the turf grabbing the legs of all the guys that ended up getting the injuries. And then to make matters worse, you have two guys blow out ACLs. You want to have them have the uh, – you're taking the team down to West Virginia at Greenbrier, and the uh, MRI machine breaks down, uh, or MRI truck getting the MRIs. So they had to wait until Wednesday to get the official MRIs to eliminate the seasons of Nick Boza and Solomon Thomas. Oh. I mean – John, there's no question that this team is snake bit. That this first two two weeks of the season, it, there's a lot of unluck going on here. But you mentioned that Super Bowl hangover. I, I can't help but think that this team is sort of experiencing what it's like to have the adversity of blowing a game and not having, you know, the ability to bounce back from something that was so big from being so close. Do you think that there is a way back for them this season? I mean, they entered the season as as favorites in the NFC. Is there a path for them to come back from this this year? Well, the path is like the uh, the advantage of uh, we talked about. I know Danny and I talked about it. That you're playing the AFC East and the NFC East, mm-hmm. and there's more bad teams in that than good. I mean, you know, you look at Philadelphia; they're off right now. You know, Dallas is the best team probably by far, but the Redskins are in a rebuilding mode. Giants are in a re- rebuilding mode. The Jets, you know, they're just terrible. Uh, you know, you, you, they've already got New England done here in Seattle, but they they have to play a few more of these teams, and then. Uh, uh, you know, after that, uh, so I mean, I think that they can maybe get to eight and eight with all these injuries. But I know that Kyle Shanahan just got off the podium or off the Zoom call and even said that D Ford, who turns out to be probably a bad trade that they made because they gave up a second round pick. I mean, he only played like because of injuries, twenty six percent of the snaps. He hasn't played a down this year because of a neck injury. And he said that uh, Kyle Shanahan said that you know Ford was probably going to miss next week. Wow, that's it's just unreal. John, let's spin this forward. Let's say they do have a middling season, somewhere between six and ten and eight and eight. How crippling is that going to be for them and their chances of staying at the top of the NFL moving forward? Extremely, because here's here's their problem. <clears throat> you know, much like the Rams, you know, they had so many guys up for free agency next year. But what's going to cap make it tough is that the uh, the cap may go down twenty million dollars. And so look look what they have to do. You know, Trent Williams, he's his contract is up at left tackle. Their top three cornerbacks, their contracts are up. You know, Kyle Usick. Uh, he's up. And you can already see, because I've already started to work on this, you know, they're going to have to cut D Ford. They're going to have to cut, uh, you know, let's see, at least one or two of their offensive linemen. Uh, and they're going to probably have to cut more. Richard Sherman is not going to be coming back. Maybe not. Maybe not, because I think that he might go into broadcasting. That is a possibility. But regardless, they're going to be down all those players. Quam Alexander, who they paid big money to bring in at middle linebacker, he's going to have to get cut. So, no, I think that window could uh, shut down pretty quickly. And then what do they have at wide receiver? Right now they don't have much healthy, and so this this could be a disaster. I mean, they they could go, uh, let's say they get the six, seven, eight wins. I mean, they may be lower than that next year. Yeah, and they're in a tough spot because, John, the one thing you can always hope for if you want to turn your 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 window around, you want to open that window faster, a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that is not something they've been able to have. They thought they might be able to get away with one with Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's becoming proven over time that he is not going to be the elite-level guy to turn a bad roster into a good one, John. That's going to be hard for them. Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, but stay tuned. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Uh, again, week three, a very interesting week. Coming up next, we're going to get a chance to check in with Will Disley, tight end, who came back from the Achilles tear and has done a very good job so far. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.